Welcome to Full Court Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. John, we leave on our cross-country retreat to Georgia Monday morning. Uh, I'm John Bruton, and every workout on that trip will be 100% dégagé. Yeah, indeed it really will. So, by the way, the word dégagé, which was said so wonderfully by today's guest, Mr. John Bruton... Translates directly to light work. On today's episode, the Astros make a splash, Ter Trevor Bauer makes an enemy out of Terry Francona, and the Saints make Michael Thomas a rich man. We begin today with the news that Melvin's, Melvin Gordon's agent has demanded a trade from the LA Chargers. Gordon is not the only big name running back holding out, as Ezekiel Elliott currently lives it up in Cabo, but Zeke has yet to demand a trade. Gordon was due to make $10 million this season. So, John, do you see Gordon getting traded and getting a new deal? And if so, where? Well, Liam, I'm, I honestly predict he will go to a competitive NFC team. And amongst those, I'd say the Minnesota Vikings and the Philadelphia Eagles. Both teams have a lot of assets, but they also need a, a backup slash secondary running back. I mean, you look at the Eagles, who had a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover last year. They have a great running back in Jordan Howard, but if they could get... Melvin Gordon for a couple of their of their young prospects, that'd be a killer backfield. Carson Wentz, Jordan Howard, and uh, Melvin Gordon. Additionally, the Minnesota Vikings, who have, who have come so close these past couple years, definitely could could cause some uh, could wreck some havoc with Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, and Melvin Gordon in the backfield. It'll be a great one-two punch. And uh, honestly, both teams have a lot of assets to trade. I don't know how much they'll sell out for Melvin Gordon, considering they already have. A, a good running back, but it would it will be interesting to see if he goes to one of those teams, considering how they need a secondary running back. Uh, before I give my answer, what would you think if Melvin Gordon went to KC? That that'd be a really interesting, a really interesting fit. I personally don't think we need him. We have Damian Williams, but um, that'd be great to see a, a division a division rival like that, like the Chargers, actually negotiate with the Chiefs. I'd love to see that. Um, of course, we're going to beat the Chargers with or without Melvin Gordon, so, I mean, it'd be great either way. So, I think the odds of Melvin Gordon getting traded to the Chiefs are less than none. There's no chance of that happening. But I really think that another AFC competitor could use Melvin Gordon even more so than the Philadelphia Eagles, who, as you mentioned, already have Jordan Howard and the Minnesota Vikings, who... Already have Dalvin Cook, not to mention their one-two punch of Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. The team I'm thinking about played a big, made a splash in the running back market three years ago, and he hasn't really lived up to it. I would like to see Melvin Gordon get traded right here to the Houston Texans to complement to complement an offense that already includes D Hop and D Watt. I personally don't believe that Lamar Miller has been. Oh my gosh. Has, or has lived up to the hype he got when he came to Houston three years ago. And Melvin Gordon, clear, I would be shocked if he didn't get traded to an immediate contender. And Houston could use him. I don't, I don't know if they have the assets to trade for him. Because so many, Jadavion Clowney being franchise tagged. They're not trading J.J. Watt. They're not trading Whitney Merciless. And they don't really have any big shot tight end or defensive back. So I just... I don't know if they have the piece to trade for him, but I'd love to see him here. Mm -hmm. Well, that'll certainly make things easier in the Chiefs division. 
My Houston Astros pulled off the biggest trade deadline deal, landing Zach Grind from the Diamondbacks in exchange for three prospects. The Astros rotation now boasts Grindke, uh, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and and made widely. Liam, are the Astros now the favorites? Absolutely, 1,000%. The main thing the Astros needed was a little bit of bullpen help. They did that in acquiring Joe Biagini from the Toronto Blue Jays. And a fourth starter. Not they didn't just get any fourth starter. They got them they got a man who had an ERA under three with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and now the rotation of Verlander, Cole, and Greinke, all of whom have ERAs under three, and Wade Miley, whose ERA is just a hinge over three. Those four guys combined with the lockdown combo of Presley and Asuna in the back end of the game, not to mention that we all know how good their offense is Springer, Altuve, Bregman. Joran Alvarez, Carlos Correa, I could go on and on talking about them. I think that they are the clear-cut favorites, especially after the Yankees, more on that later, did absolutely nothing to improve their terrible starting pitching. So, if the Astros, oh, not to mention the Dodgers didn't fix their bullpen or their bad defense. So, if the Astros are playing their, (coughs) sorry, if the Astros are playing their A game, it should be a cakewalk for them. I mean, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I do not want to get too overconfident, though. I mean, we did have we did have struggles earlier in the season, and the Dodgers still did have five All Stars. Um, you know, they're no they're no team to be overlooked. But definitely, I think the Astros made a big, big splash, a bigger splash than any other team, uh, arguably, in the trade deadline. And yeah, I mean, it is it is really ours to lose. Uh, yeah, believe believe us when we say that this is not the Astros' title to lose. A topic I've been waiting to talk about for almost a week. On Sunday, Trevor Bauer pulled off something I had never seen before. Chucking a ball over the center field wall after his manager, Terry Francona, came to take him out of the game. A little over 48 hours later, Bauer was dealt to the Cincinnati Reds. More on the Reds later. John, do you think Bauer's action Sunday had anything to do with his getting dealt? Well, I think definitely. I mean, any good sports coach, any good sports player will tell you that a bad attitude translates to a bad person. Bauer, you know, got obviously frustrated, visibly frustrated when he was taken out of the game. Um, And he acted irrationally and and childish. And, I mean, Bauer is not... He's he's, he's a good player. He has a a regular season ERA of 3.79, but he's nothing absolutely one of a kind. And so I think the Reds saw saw their chance to deal a player who they they didn't think was helping their team whatsoever. Um, you know, who had a terrible attitude. I think it was a smart decision by the Reds, um, and it definitely had something to do with his terrible attitude. The the game on Sunday. So you're right. This is completely childish shot of Bauer. It's no wonder Cleveland dealt into Cincinnati, and I ultimately do think it ended up with them getting traded because. When you trade a, when you're in the position Cleveland is in right now, you don't expect them to sell. They're right in the thick of the race in the AL Central. They're playing Minnesota, who, who, oh by the way, currently leads the, their division. This is a huge series for both teams. You would, I would think that they wouldn't mind having a guy like Trevor Bauer to help them out, to help the pitching rotation out. But I guess not, because you saw the way they dealt him just like that for. Arguably an even more childish person in Yasiel Puig. More on him later. So, I do. I ultimately think that his action Sunday 
led to the end of his reign in Cleveland, and he got sent from somewhat northern Ohio down to south Ohio. You know, Liam, Yasiel Puig, a key part of that trade, is a key part of our next topic. The Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds have had beef all year, and it reached its peak Tuesday when Reds reliever Amir Garrett single-handedly charged the entire Pirates dugout, leading to multiple suspensions. Garrett received eight. Pirates reliever Keon Kella, who threw out the head of Derek Dietrich in the seventh inning, received ten. New Cleveland Indian Puig got three. Reds manager David Bell got six. Pirates manager Clint Hurdle got two. Pirates infielder Jose Osuna got five. And Reds pitcher Jared Hughes and Pirates pitcher Kyle Crick both got three. Liam, do you find these suspensions fair? Well, before I answer that, I want to say there was an error in the script on my part. I wrote the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds have had beef all year and meant to say the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Cincinnati Reds. My apologies there. Moving on. I was a little bit surprised to see that Kelly got 10 since he wasn't really the instigator of the brawl, even though when you throw at the head of a player, regardless of whether or not it immediately leads to a brawl in the present or the future part of the game, it's a pretty darn big deal. And for that reason, I it's kind, it's kind of interesting to me that he got the worst of it when I personally believe that Amir Garrett should have gotten the worst of it. I'm not at all surprised that David Bell, the Reds manager, got more than the Pirates manager because... Amir Garrett was the one that instigated the brawl. I'm not at all surprised that Yasiel Puig got three. I'm just surprised that it's been going on and on between the Pirates and the Reds for months. You don't see the Red Sox and Yankees, the league's biggest rivals, throwing at each other's heads. Although, to be fair, Luis Severino did throw at Mookie Betts a year ago today, but whatever. But you don't see two teams with constant beef with each other going after each other repeatedly for no reason the way that the Pirates and Reds have this year. I mean, when you when a guy single-handedly tries to take on the entire Pittsburgh Pirates team, trouble is brewing, and there's a lot of trouble between these two teams, so I think that these suspensions were a more warning to these two teams that if you keep this up, you're getting a lot worse than this. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was a great step by the MLB to to, uh, to enforce some of these some of these suspensions. I mean, there's visible tension in the in the two teams between the Pirates and the Reds, um, and yeah, it was just it's crazy how it how it escalated to this point. You know, in 2019, there's not all that many sports brawls, and to see something like this, I think it goes back to Bauer and how. Uh, these these players really have a lack of composure and they're losing control over their emotions and the postseason is coming up and there's a lot of teams that are right there and you know it was it was a stupid it was a stupid action on both parts and I think most players got what they deserved like you said uh, Garrett I think should have received more uh, it was it was a good that David Bell and Clint Hurdle received separate separate levels of, of suspension. Um, but yeah, it was just tensions flared in a way that, you know, it's not very pretty, but that's the way sports, it's not great, but that's what happens. I mean, exactly. There's just, there's no room for that in our professional sports world today. Now here's a topic that both angers me and delights me. Both the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees failed to make any acquisitions to the deadline. Boston failed to address their awful relief pitching. And the Yankees did absolutely nothing about their awful starting. 
John, which of the two teams doing absolutely nothing surprises you more? Honestly, I think the Red Sox staying put with their with their team that is currently um, third in the division and has not been in the best stretch. To stay put with that team, you know, it's it definitely takes a lot of courage on the Red Sox part. But yeah, I don't think it's going to pay off. I mean, oh, it's not Yankees, going to pay off. The Yankees are atop that division. Okay, they they're not good in terms of. In terms of the entire MLB standings, they're second place. They could have they could have done something, and they didn't. But really, they don't have that much to worry about. The Rays are seven and a half games behind them. The Red Sox are eleven and a half games behind them. So I think it would have been quite necessary for the Red Sox to have made some big some big moves, and they failed to. And right now they're they're at you know the brink of mediocrity, and Boston sports fans like yourself absolutely hate that. So. <laughs> and, um. Well, I'll be the first to say it. Boston fans are pretty darn spoiled. I mean, when the Bruins lost Game 7, it was as if a shockwave fell over the city of Boston. <laughs> okay, but I disagree with you. The Yankees doing nothing to address their starting pitching surprised me greatly, though it did delight me because now they have zero chance to win the World Series. Because with a rotation of Masahiro Tanaka, James Paxton, Domingo Bajingo Herman. And Jay Happ with CC's Batia currently on the IL, the Yankees cannot win on the road in the playoffs, particularly in a place like Houston or Minnesota or even Fenway. We saw them get plastered last weekend. Now, the Yankees are playing for a. <coughs> they're going to make the playoffs. But they are playing for their 28th World Series championship. And I think that most New Yorkers will agree with me. They cannot win with this starting rotation. So I'm surprised greatly. And I'm a little... I'm angry about the Red Sox doing nothing, but I'm not as surprised as I was with the Yankees because, to be fair, they are 11.5 back in the division and their starting pitching hasn't been great either. So it's at, it wouldn't surprise me if they don't make the playoffs this year. I hope they do, but when you're coming off a season that you, in which you won 100 if in which you won 108 games there's bound to be some some sort of hangover like what happened with the eagles definitely definitely all righty time to play relevancy where we will name a recent occurrence in sports and rate it on a scale of 0 to 10 in terms of relevancy we'll start with this relevancy rating of the continuously growing number of nba all-stars withdrawing from the usa fiba world cup team i'll give that a solid 6, maybe 6.5. I mean, as relevant as it is, the USA is, you know, hands down the best the best nation in the sport of basketball. We do not need a LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant failed lineup to decimate these international teams with zero all-star. I mean, now that's not to say that we can go out there with some of the most subpar NBA players and win, but with one or two great stars like a young Devin Booker, D'Angelo Russell, um, more young players like that who want to who want to win a, a gold medal, want to put that on their list of achievements, as opposed to the old veterans who are trying to take the summers off, want to take a little bit of break from basketball. It's it's relevant, but it's not damaging to the USA's um, to the USA's reputation as as a, as a basketball powerhouse. I mean, everybody knows that. So yeah, I think that's a solid five six. 6.5. I am going to give it a 4. For the following reasons, I think it is relevant in that some young stars like Devin Booker, 
Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are getting their chance to shine at the FIBA World Cup this summer. <coughs> because the thing that most NBA veterans care about representing their country in is the Olympics. We, we're go- this coming, a, a year from now, we're going to see the bright stars out there. We're going to see Steph Curry. We're going to see KD. We're going to see, hopefully, a healthy Clay Thompson. We're going to see the big names at the Olympics. The FIBA World Cup is not even close to being on the same scale as the Olympics. <coughs> That's why I gave it a four. It'd be a much bigger deal if you had the big names drawing out of the Olympics. And don't get me wrong, they're still going to be loaded on this during this World Cup, but it's not as big of a deal because it's not the Olympics people are withdrawing from. Definitely, definitely. Next up. Relevancy rating of the NFL players voting Aaron Donald number one to their annual top 100 list on NFL Network. Well, this surprised me because this may be biased talking, but I expected Brady to be number one because when you have six Super Bowl rings, you kind of had that reputation. Now, when the t- when there were 20 players left, I wrote out my predictions, and I had Donald behind two players, Brady and Patrick Mahomes. So, for that reason, I'm going to give this a six because... In football, you hear all about the offensive stars. Brady, Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Rodgers, Breeze. I could go on and on. But I don't feel like the defense gets as much respect. So, to see the players vote a defensive player, a defensive lineman, by the way, to number one, it it strikes me as the players are starting to have more respect for the lesser appreciated positions of the past. That's an interesting point. Uh, I think I would give this about a seven. I mean, I think it's it's like you said. I mean, the, the fact that they appreciated a really, a really good defensive player that's really important. Um, now, of course, this is a, this also might be biased speaking, but Patrick Mahomes did win MVP, and Patrick Mahomes had a stellar year and was behind three players. But Aaron Donald definitely is, by and all means, a stud. Um, he is definitely one of the one of the top tier interior defensive linemen. He's going to stay like that for a long time. Um, with his stature, for him to be as dominant and imposing as he is is also equally as surprising. Um, and for the fact that his peers respect him, I mean that that I think that's the most important part. That's the most relevant part. That his fellow offensive linemen and quarterbacks and running backs and wide receivers, but these other kind of top one hundred NFL players, they all respect him. Because he is so good at what he does, and and I think that that's that's really relevant that they're noticing, you know, like you said, not a not a quarterback, not a star-studded wide receiver, but an interior defensive lineman who's you know down in the third, definitely you know working his butt off for for not not the big lights. He, he just wants he just wants what an interior lineman wants, wants sacks, all these stats. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's I think it's definitely relevant and really interesting, really interesting pick. Alright, so the thing that makes this list, I'm just going to add this before we move on. The thing that makes this list more relevant than anything written by Bleacher Report or Sports Illustrated or ESPN is that the players came up with it. It's the players' decisions entirely. Next, the relevancy rating of Michael Thomas, five-year, $100 million extension, making him the highest paid wideout in football. You know, I would give this about a seven, again. Um... (laughs) Pretty relevant. I mean, yeah, he he set the record for most receptions by a single player in a season. He also has Drew Brees, who definitely helps. Um, you know, but you you watch you watch his film, 
and he's and he's really good. He can adjust to the ball in midair. He's he's physically imposing. He's he's everything you want in a wide receiver. Um, and so I think I think that's definitely relevant. Um, now making him the highest paid wide receiver in football might be a little bit much, considering his quarterback is very very good. And if and Brees has a couple years left under his belt, but the Saints, you know, we've got robbed in the past two years. You know, if the Saints fail to, to sign anybody else, you know, they're gonna they're gonna be looking at this. Um, so yeah, I think it was it was a good it was a good signing by the Saints. I mean they got a really good wide receiver. But he'll he'll have to live up to really high expectations for sure. Alright, I'm gonna give it a seven too, and I agree with you for all the reasons, but I'm I'm basing this off of other reasoning. Because now you're going to see guys like Antonio Brown, Julio, and DeAndre Hopkins command salaries equal to, if not higher than that, of Michael Thomas. So <coughs> we've seen it with the running backs. We've seen it with Melvin Gordon and Ezekiel Elliott currently holding out. I expect there to be a similar problem with wide receivers coming in the next couple of years. I mean, we saw it with the D lineman last year and Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald. So I expect wide receiver salaries to spike up within the next few years simply because of Michael Thomas's recent contract. Definitely. Last one. Relevancy rating in the NFL preseason having begun on Thursday night. I'm going to give this a three. I find preseason games unnecessary to watch. I find better things to watch on TV, particularly Arrow on Netflix. But I'm not giving it a zero, and I'm giving it a three for this reason, because <coughs> preseason can often lead to devastating injuries. Julian Edelman bringing a prime example two years ago. So that is something I'll have my eye on. I mean, A.J. Green just got hurt recently, too. So I'll have my eye on if anybody, if any notable names get hurt. Oh, didn't Tyree Kill get carted off recently, too? Uh, yeah. From my understanding, that was from, that was from practice, though. Um, and I don't, think it was, I don't think it was a preseason game. One quick omission, for the first time since June of 2006, one club has picked up the player, pitcher, and rookie of the month awards. The Astros, Garrett Cole won pitcher of the month. The Jordan Alvarez won rookie. Yuli Gurriel won player of the month. Now, John, let's hear your relevancy rating. Oh, um, my, relevancy, my relevancy rating for the NFL preseason, I think it's going to be equally <coughs> as, as irrelevant as you think it is. I mean, it's two... You know, it's a, it's a good place for rookies to show their skills against other rookies, um, <laughs> and I think it's it's an interesting it's an interesting battleground. I think it's necessary. The NFL wouldn't be the same without it, but it's really not all that relevant. Not that many people show up to the games. The big stars aren't playing. It's not the biggest thing in the world. Not at all, nor is the Pro Bowl. Okay, time for the history lesson, boys and girls, where we honor great achievements of the past in the coming week. 83 years ago today, August 3rd, Jesse Owens won the 100-meter dash with a time of 10.3 seconds, the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. Despite all the controversy at the time, Owens was still able to accomplish what he accomplished. 83 years ago, Monday, August 5th, uh, Owens won the 200-meter dash in Berlin with a time of 20.7 seconds. It was Owens' third medal of those historic games. Three years ago, Wednesday, August 7th, Katie Ledecky set a world record in the women's 400-meter freestyle with a time of 3 minutes and 56.46 seconds. It won Ledecky the gold medal at the 2016 Olympics in Rio. Uh, more on Jesse Owens 
Jesse Owens, 83 years ago, Friday, August 9th. Owens was part of the 4x100 relay team that won gold and at then world record of 39.8 seconds. It was Owens' fourth gold medal from the Berlin Games. Hey, we brought up Jesse Owens so much because he truly was, and still is, quite an inspiration. <coughs> okay, the show's almost over, so it's time for who you got. We'll start with this. Who you got finishing with more triple doubles this season? Russell Westbrook or James Harden? You know, honestly, that duel will be really interesting. But Russell Westbrook is Mr. Triple Double. Um, you know, he can steal rebounds from Steven Adams, but he can equally steal rebounds from Clint Capella. Um, James Harden, of course, he will still pick up his fair share of triple doubles. But Russell Westbrook is accustomed to it at this point. And, um, yeah, it will definitely be him. I agree with you completely. I expect Russell Westbrook to finish with several more triple-doubles. And, ultimately, I think it ultimately lead to a little bit of controversy between him and Harden and their ball dominance. But, it's going to be Westbrook, for sure. Yeah. Um, next up, who you got traded next? Chris Paul or Bradley Beal? I think Bradley Beal will get traded before Chris Paul because he is, A, a much younger player... B, on a much more workable contract, and C, does not have the bad reputation of getting into it with teammates that Chris Paul does. Bradley Beal is a young, hungry player. Ever since that Game 7 loss to the Celtics, he has (coughs) not had a lot of chances. And for that reason, I see Beal being dealt to a team, potentially even the Miami Heat, sometime soon. I just don't... I've... I think it'll be very difficult for Chris Paul to be traded again this summer, especially with that contract. So I'm going with Bradley Beal. Yeah, I mean, for all the same reasons, I agree with you. Chris Paul is an aging, um, you know, he's an aging pass-first point guard. He was not so popular in the NBA right now. He was great in his prime. I mean, with the Pelicans and the Clippers, he was, he was you know, a franchise player. It's, he's definitely seen his better years. Bradley Beal's, you know, on the rise, um, and yeah, it should it should probably amount to Chris Paul, regretfully saying in Oklahoma City, and Bradley Beal, you know, getting out of getting out of Washington D.C. Of oh, the Wizards are not a very good team, and he'll huh. probably find a better situation somewhere else. Last one, Sunday night baseball tomorrow night. David Price and the Sox take on Jay Happ and the Yankees in the Bronx. John, who you got winning this one? Uh, I know you're going to love to hear it, and the Yankees won the last game um, yesterday. So, of course, I have to go with the Yankees. Uh, They're the better team, and they've won once in this series already. I don't think it's going to be a repeat of the last series, however, with the the Sox absolutely dominating. Uh, I think it should should play out to a a fun game. The the Yankees know the Sox, the Sox know the Yankees. Well, yeah, Yankees, you know, are the better team. Yeah, I hate to say it, but I think the Yankees are going to win, too. I mean, when you look at who you've got on the mound, David Price, who has struggled time after time in a Yankee stadium in a Red Sox uniform, he has had one good start there this year, but it's been a struggle for him as of late recently. He has not had his good stuff lately, and I think Yankee Stadium is not the right place for him to pitch right now, and Jay Happ has owned the Red Sox for the majority of his career. He had one bad start against them in the postseason, and uh, I just don't really see us winning this game Sunday. Well, that's all we have today, folks. I'm John Bruton.
I'm Liam Griffin. I'd like to thank John for joining the guest podcast again today, and thank you for tuning in. Be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram at Podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please DM the podcast or contact me directly. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next week.